Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I have to say I'm already inspired, and the hour is just starting. I have in studio Jacob 1020 Thompson. He's written a book called From Diagnosis to Destiny. Your trials aren't meant to break you. They're meant to make you. How about that for a catchy title? I cannot wait to uh, hear his story. It's going to be powerful, and he's with me right now. Jacob, welcome. Thank you, Bill. It's great to be here. All right. First, need to explain what uh, 1020 means yes. your, your moniker, Jacob 1020 Thompson. What does 1020 yes. mean? My initials are JT. Most people call me that, which are the 10th and 20th letter of the alphabet. But more importantly, Matthew 1020 says, It will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. When I'm writing music, poetry, books, that's my guiding verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacob, you've got a, a quite a story of uh, developing, being diagnosed with a, an illness, and I do want to hear about uh, what that illness is. I think it's called a, uh, ataxia. Friedrich's ataxia. Friedrich's ataxia. F-A okay. for short. F-A, all right. So maybe you would uh, tell us about your life before your diagnosis, or, or maybe just tell us how you came to know uh, Jesus as your Savior. Yeah, um, I was a pretty typical kid growing up in my community. Uh, We went to church here and there, and then I played sports. And as I got older, sports sort of took over and took the place of me pursuing the things of God. Um, When I was 11, my baseball coach showed me I could play pro baseball someday. And so that became that became my dream. Uh, I put my purpose, my value, my identity into playing sports, being popular, uh, chasing girls, and the typical things of a high school boy. Um, what happened, two things happened. One thing was... I had football and baseball coaches who led a ministry called Young Life, and they began to pursue relationships with me and my friends and invite us to Young Life. And it was a place we had fun, we played games, and then we heard about Jesus. And for a while, you could drown out the Jesus stuff and just have a good time. But the other thing that happened Throughout high school, instead of getting stronger, faster, and better at my sports, I got slower, I got weaker, and I found myself on the bench my senior year. And at that point, I had a real crisis in my identity, my value, my purpose. And as sort of my false identity crashed down, the Jesus stuff I was hearing became more important. It caught my ear. Eventually, 
we took a backpacking trip and for the first time I was able to kind of open up, be vulnerable, confess my sin and God met me in that place in a real tangible way. And I'm, I mark that as a major turning point in my life. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this discovery. You're, you're, you're slowing down. You're, you're missing a beat your senior year, which must have confused you. Yes. You know, whoa, whoa, I should be getting bigger, stronger, and tougher. And you were just having the opposite effect. And so then you were diagnosed with a rare disease called Friedrich's ataxia. Um, first of all, maybe you would talk about uh, how you discovered this and, and how old were you when this happened? Yeah, my decline in physical ability at first was micro. I was little things like running as fast or catching, and I could easily ignore it. But it kept increasing to the point where I no longer could ignore it. And when I was 24, I went into a physical therapist and just tried to figure out what was happening. That began a whole journey doctor visits, MRIs, blood tests, evaluations, and finally, they were able to diagnose me. All right, what, what was that like when you were finally given um, uh, a name for what you were struggling with? i say my diagnosis had a twofold response. So on one hand, it it was like my whole life finally made sense. Sure. It was good to have an answer. On the other hand, they told me, you know, I've had this. I was born with this. I've had it my whole life. And they told me it's only going to get worse. I'm eventually going to be in a wheelchair, have a shortened life expectancy. Um, there is no treatment. So I'm 24 relatively newly married, bought a house. You know, it's like I have my whole life ahead of me. I'm coaching football, making music, doing ministry. And now um, it felt it felt hopeless for the future. It felt like all my best days maybe were behind me and, and I didn't know what would become of my life now. Mm-hmm. All right, so you've got this diagnosis at a young age, you're 24, you've got your whole life ahead of you, and now you realized you've got a challenge, but you've got your book that you say your trials don't aren't meant to break you, they're meant to make you. So um, how are you navigating your way through the difficult times? Yes, so it's funny because before my diagnosis, I wrote music and I wrote these songs and I had a theme about encountering trials and having hope and keeping your faith. And I always felt like I was writing for other people. Wow. So this was all before you were diagnosed. Yes. Whoa. So you were writing songs that would one day minister to you. Exactly. So eventually I came to a place, you know, of feeling hopeless and, and, you know, feeling depressed, kind of being in the cloud. And I had to ask myself if everything I've been doing, ministry, music, speaking to other people, if I believe that for myself. And and the answer is yes. So I would love to say, oh, 
getting through your trials means your problem's going away. But that's not reality. I still have F.A. I still deal with physical, mental, emotional pain. But I have an anchor in Jesus who offers complete restoration for eternity that will be in a place no pain, no tears, no death, no sickness. Mm-hmm. But more, even, not more, but even with that, he offers purpose in pain that he won't waste what we go through but he'll use it to develop us into the people that he wants us to be and that we're made to be Mm -hmm. jacob 1020 thompson is my guest his book is called from uh, diagnosis to destiny your trials aren't meant to break you they're meant to make you um and uh, Jacob, if you got this ataxia at age 87, I'd go, oh, that's a bummer. But you got it at 24, so are you, are you, were you mad at God? I don't know if mad at God is the right word, but more so feeling where is God? Mm-hmm. Um, is God with me? What What is God doing? Why do all these people pray for me and I'm praying for you and laying hands on me and and nothing happens. Yeah. So maybe just so we could better understand the condition that you struggle with and you've had it from birth, which is another challenging thing to hear. The manifestations of uh, uh, ataxia. What are you have complications with uh, walking? Yeah. And you have a struggle with your talking as well. Yeah, balance, balance, coordination, speech, energy. Um, some people who have FA, they're in a wheelchair mm-hmm. in their early teens. Oh wow! Some people are walking when they're fifty, so it's a whole spectrum. But for me, as you saw coming in here, I walk with a cane. I can no longer run. Um, daily tasks like bringing laundry up and down stairs are things I can no longer do. So it causes difficulties just day in, day out. Mm-hmm. But you have courage, you have Christ, you have a story to tell, and I know God is already using you in a powerful way. And I, I, I'm I feel so sorry for you on one side that you're 24 with physical uh, challenges and being a guest on this show, I'm excited on the other side of the powerful way in which God is going to bring people into his kingdom as a result of you and your life and how you're handling all of this and how you're showing the world that although this is uh, difficult and it's not something I want. It's something that you're choosing to live with with courage and bravery. Mm. I think of the story of Joseph just as one who encountered just difficult circumstances and in the end he said, you know, you intended to harm me but God is going to use this for good mm-hmm. and to bring about his salvation. And when I look at my life, I see, you know, I've hard, ongoing hard times, but 
if I can be faithful and keep fighting and and keep sharing what what God has done, how he will use this to save lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he will indeed. Jacob 1020 Tom, uh, Thompson is my guest. His book is From Diagnosis to Destiny. Your trials aren't meant to break you. They're meant to make you. And he has um, uh, got some uh, songs and some poetry. He's not going to sing today, but uh, we are going to talk about his music and his poetry and some other things just after the break. We'll be right back. the show so glad to have jacob 1020 thompson in my studio and he is a um, award-winning recording artist he is an author and he's written a book called from diagnosis to destiny your trials aren't meant to break you they're meant to make you and four years ago at age 24 he was diagnosed with frederick's ataxia which is uh, a very uh, challenging difficult disease which he will have the rest of his life which apparently unfortunately doesn't improve and there's not much to do about it that's right. There are a few treatments being studied. So the whole FA community is kind of waiting with their fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. So what would you hope readers would get out of your book? I will say with my book, with music, poetry, speaking, I'm on a life-saving mission. And I like. I, I will say that in a literal and a figurative sense. Uh, literally, I hope somebody who is in a dark place could find my my book, find my music, find one of my videos, and and decide they want to keep living, they want to keep fighting, they want to keep on breathing, which is the name of one of my new songs. Um, but in a a figurative sense to a life-saving mission of saving people from a life devoid of purpose, devoid of hope, and devoid of what we were actually created for, to have a relationship with God through Christ. And so I know I'm not saving anyone, but my hope is the Lord would work through my book and and everything I do to reach people and draw them to himself. Mm-hmm. Jacob, I bet your book is going to touch a, a lot of people who had the experience of not feeling quite right and having a diagnosis and having that result be some life changing uh, diagnosis. Yeah, it's it's crazy going through this. It's helped me to empathize more with people who are suffering and and struggling and just have a broader perspective, not, hey, we need to fix and solve all your problems, but I want to sit with you, listen, and be with you through what you're going through. Mm-hmm. So you have got a couple of young kids at home? Yes. Uh, so you and your wife are busy? Yes, two boys, 
Titus and Griffin. Nice. Two years old and one year old. Very busy. Okay, so you would know uh, the bundle of energy they would be, the ways in which they'd probably want Dad to do things with them. What is that like for you when your energy and mobility is a little limited? Very, very challenging. Um, I dreamed of being the coach, Dad, who coached all the sports and played with my sons. You know, my dad, he played catch with me. He coached some of my teams. And I described the fact that I'm seeing my son learn to walk while simultaneously walking gets harder and harder for me. And so that brings a level of emotional strain that is is unique mm-hmm. and then when it comes to activities where you're going to want to do some family activity and I, I suppose you have some limitations or quite a few limitations because if it's, uh, it takes a lot out of you to carry laundry up a flight of stairs that and you can't do that anymore it probably means that there's going to be a lot of uh, dad spectating Yes. While kids move. Yes. That's been something that I've had to lament and mourn and and remind myself, you know, I have an opportunity to leave a legacy with my sons that is eternal. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's extremely difficult thinking about not taking the boundary waters trips or climbing mountains or playing sports with my sons. But I do know that I have more to offer them than that. Um, Totally. Yeah, and not to mention, they are crazy about their dad. That's right. (laughs) And just being with you is all they care about. Yeah. Not what you do together, but can we be together? Yes. And it's amazing, you know, when you hold your child for the first time it's a whole new idea of the way that god loves us yeah you just can't believe how much you love your boy when you held him mm-hmm. and well, he was just hours old right and yeah and yet you were completely smitten weren't you yes and he hadn't done anything for me <laughs> he had cried and pooped that was and, it and you were yeah. nuts about him yep yeah it's a, a great window of uh of the way i, I know god thinks about and loves us and and, you know, what we know um, is revealed to us through God's Word uh, as we try to draw closer to Him, uh, and we just want to be with Him. I think yeah. it's, a, it's a great model of, of what faith is much about, just being with God, enjoying His company. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about your music and, and some of your, um, your uh, poetry. Yeah. Um, I have a video. It's called Metamorphosis. And it it takes you through a full journey of my experience just of crying out to God, of God responding, of me seeing a wider perspective. I'm also working on new music. I have a new project, hoping that it will come out this year. I believe it's the best music I've made, both cool. from a, you know, a sound standpoint yeah. and um, maybe we could get a little sample of uh, your your poetry. 
I like that. All right, here's Jacob 1020 Thompson. I know God has a purpose. If it wasn't for my trials, I never would have written these verses. And if everything in my life was perfect, then really I would have no reason to worship. Because you don't know what healing is till you've had a broken heart. And light shines brighter when you come out of the dark. And all my pain just made my spirit unbreakable. And all my doubt just made my faith unshakable. See, my story is something only God could write. I wouldn't know my purpose if I didn't have to fight this fight. There's a reason I've endured all those sleepless nights so I could tell you that everything is going to be alright because heaven is my home. Earth is only temporary. You don't have to cry when you lay me in that cemetery. And I could say that truthfully because I know I stood for something on the day they read my eulogy. And one of God's soldiers, you could bet him on the roster. And no weapon formed against me shall prosper. So I'll press on whatever storm I may weather. Because for those who love God, all things work together. Love it. Oh my gosh, Jacob, that was so fabulous. Bill, I had to turn my mic on. Jacob, we have to hear more. Do you have something else? I do. I do. What's it going to be? All right. You go for it. I kept everything bottled up inside of me, but I came to find out the world lied to me, trying everything it said would fulfill me, but I was lost, just looking for the real me. Till one day I couldn't take it anymore. See, God had been knocking. I opened up the door. I confessed all my shame and my secrets. He told me he could take it. I didn't have to keep it. He said, my son, you're forgiven. That's why I've died and I've risen, so you could be free from the prison that you live in. All this time you've been looking for love, but I've always been there and I'm more than enough. So I stopped waiting. I made the decision. He gave me a new life, new goals, new vision. And don't get me wrong, I'm far from perfect, but improving every day and I'm living with a purpose. Inside of me, there's no more hole. I have peace, love, and joy in my soul. He never leaves me. He stays close by. I found the real me, a son of the Most High. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jacob1020 Thompson. So nice to meet you and hear your story. And so uh, inspired by what you do. Thank you for having me. You bet. Jacob, uh, 1020 Thompson's been my guest. His book, From Diagnosis to Destiny, Your Trials Aren't Meant to Break You, They're Meant to Make You. Take a short break and be right back. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno, Primetime 
drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, yeah. what's for dinner? Yeah. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. I have got a great idea this afternoon. Let's dig into God's Word and let's do it with Dr. Greg Heddington. He's been helping us uh, look at First and Second Peter. Greg, welcome back to the show. Bill, great to be back again. No kidding, yeah. So I think we're going to focus on Second Peter 2 and recognizing false teaching. This is going to be good, uh, good teaching time. That's it. Well, welcome to our study of First and Second Peter. Now, I've passed over three chapters. So First uh, Peter 4, 5, and Second Peter 1, uh, don't think you've missed it because we didn't go over that. But today we are going to look at Second Peter chapter 2, and we're calling this Responding to False Teaching. So just so we can put it into context, let me give you a short summation of First Peter, whose subject was, we will suffer from our faith as believers, and we'll also suffer generally in life because believers are not somehow magically protected from bad things happening to us. But along with suffering, we have a living hope because our hope is in a living Jesus Christ. So, those are the two main themes of First Peter, suffering, but suffering with hope. The theme of Second Peter can be summed up in one sentence. In his second letter, Peter teaches his readers that the grace of God in Christ truly transforms and empowers Christ's followers to live righteously even in the face of opposition. So today we look at Second Peter chapter 2, our central idea of this lesson is how can we recognize heresy, that is, false teaching. If you're taking notes, Roman number one, the foundational belief of false teaching. This chapter of Second Peter 2 is about false teaching that crept into the early church to subvert the truth about God. These false teachers, who sometimes called themselves prophets, were intentionally misleading the church with destructive heresy. Now, heresy is defined in the theological world as teaching which is in contrast to the orthodox teachings or doctrines of the church. And those orthodox teachings are all rooted in the Old Testament and in the teachings of the apostles who received their teaching directly from Jesus. That's orthodox teaching. That's scripture. The word orthodox comes from two Greek words that mean right belief or right opinion. False teachers could also be called heretics or apostates. They mean the same thing, which is those who deviate from the truth of God. The particular sins that Peter highlights are greed, sensuality, and dishonesty, which have always been around for about a few thousand years. So how do we recognize heresy? In other words, false teaching. Here's the answer. There will be something in that teaching which is inconsistent with the orthodox view of the Trinity and, in particular, regarding the teaching of Jesus. Let me say it again. There will be something in that teaching which is inconsistent with the orthodox view of the Trinity and, in particular, regarding teaching about Jesus. And we'll look at that again later. So question, why do so many people have difficulty with the idea of the Trinity, which we accept by faith? I think it's because they try to reduce the Creator God to a mathematical equation that is more familiar to human reason. Let me say it again. I think people have a hard time with the Trinity 
because I think it's because they try to reduce the creator God to a mathematical equation that is more familiar to human reason. Baker's Dictionary of Theology says it this way, and I love this, quote, The question one should ask is, since God is supernatural, in other words, beyond nature, why would we think he must be understood in natural terms? Hmm. A Christ follower is not surprised if an element of mystery remains in our faith, which defies ultimate analysis or understanding. In the quotation. I think that's a brilliant response. Think about it. We have put our ultimate faith in the supernatural, omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient God. In other words, a God who is all-powerful, always present, and all-knowing, yet we have not actually seen God. But we believe we have a good understanding of what Jesus was about. And as Jesus says in John 20, verse 29, blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. Or we might say it this way. No one can ultimately prove and give evidence that there is a God or there isn't. But there's a lot of evidence that there is a God. I recently saw a blog that said 46% of Americans believe ghosts are real. Hmm. Now, I don't have a solid theological position on whether or not ghosts are real, and nor does Scripture. But the point is, ghosts are in the realm of the supernatural. Sociologist Thomas Mowen says this, quote, People today are looking to other or non-traditional things to answer life's big questions that don't necessarily include religion. Then he says, Atheists tend to report higher belief in the paranormal than religious folks. In the quotation. In other words, he is saying many people do not believe in the supernatural when it refers to God, but they do when it does not refer to God. I wonder if this is related to the fact that ever since Gallup began its surveys 80 years ago, American church membership has now dropped below 50% for the first time. In March 2021, American church membership was only 47%. Now, compare that to the year 2000, when 70% of Americans belong to a church, synagogue, or mosque. Perhaps there's a correlation. So Roman numeral one, the foundational belief of false teaching, is that there is something in false teaching that is inconsistent with the orthodox view of the Trinity, and particularly Jesus. So let's look more closely at the Trinity. Roman numeral two, the Trinity. What is it about the Trinity that causes so many people to reject it and develop some kind of heresy? Well, how would you respond to people who reject the idea of a triune God? And by the way, the Trinity is not a secondary issue in our faith. The Trinity is one of our primary bedrock beliefs. So, how would you describe the Trinity to someone who asked you about it? Briefly, here it is. We believe in one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all distinct and yet God. People say different ways. They take an H2O, which is not a bad illustration. H2O can be seen as solid, liquid, 
and steam. All different fours, all three H2O. We believe not in three gods, as Muslims claim. We believe in one God. Don't think of it as one plus one plus one equals three. Think of it more like one times one times one equals one. Historically, the Trinity was discussed for many years among believers and finally formalized as a doctrine by a church council in the 4th century as they were sovereignly guided by the Holy Spirit. It's true that the word Trinity is not mentioned in Scripture, but there are many Scriptures that give evidence for the Trinity. For example, let me give you some of those Scriptures. Genesis 1.26 and 11.7 use the plural form for God, which is Elohim. El would be singular, but Elohim is the plural for God. 2 Corinthians 13.13 is the earliest New Testament evidence for the Trinity to be used as a blessing when Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Or as Southerners would say, be with you all. (laughs) Matthew 3.16, when Jesus is baptized by John, the Spirit of God descends from heaven like a dove, lands on him, and a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus gives the Great Commission and says, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And finally, in John chapters 8, 10, 12, and 14, Jesus says, When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Those are the key verses that give evidence for the Trinity. The central idea of this lesson is how can we recognize heresy, that is, false teaching? As we've said, the answer is we can recognize false theological teaching when there is something in that teaching that is inconsistent with the orthodox view of the Trinity and particularly regarding Jesus. That central idea can be used as a standard rule by us to determine false or orthodox theological teaching. Now, there are also, Roman numeral three, three typical behaviors which false teachers exhibit. Number one, these teachers will typically have an inappropriate intimacy with several of their followers. Hmm. Number two, These teachers will consistently push their followers to give more money to, quote, his or her church. Number three, these teachers will exercise abusive authority over their followers. Now, you can compare those three items with the abuses Peter mentions in chapter two regarding false teachers who emphasize sensuality, greed, and dishonesty as they not only indulge in those sins, but teach others to do the same. I want to mention one more heresy in particular regarding the second person in the Trinity. So, Roman numeral four, false teaching regarding Jesus. Every religion and cult disagrees with our orthodox views about Jesus. Some say he was just a man, a remarkable moral teacher who perform miraculous deeds, as many Roman historians will attest, but just a man. 
Others claim he was God who could not possibly be man as well. Yet our orthodox scriptural theology says Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And as I mentioned earlier, why would that be so difficult to understand when we believe in a supernatural God who goes beyond the natural? Perhaps the biggest lie perpetrated by Satan is that the only way we can connect with God is by earning his love through what we call works righteousness. Works righteousness is a theological phrase, which means if we can be righteous enough, good enough, then hopefully our good outweighs our bad and God will accept us. The fact is, we will always continue to sin. And that's why, after all, our gracious Lord came to earth to pay for our sins on the cross. And therefore, when we are in relationship with him, we are finally united with the God who has always loved us and has always wanted a relationship with us. And I want to complete this point with a one-liner, actually a two-liner. Here it is. We don't understand Jesus until we understand grace. And we don't understand grace until we understand Jesus. Hmm. What, what is grace? Well, here's one definition. There's nothing we can do to cause God to love us any less and nothing we can do to God, cause God to love us any more. He just loves us. It's not a theological proposition to be debated. Here's another definition. Grace is God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. That's my favorite. We have now answered the question about how one can recognize false, that is heretical teaching. And if the subject of comparing our faith with other religions ever comes up, there's a good book called So What's the Difference by Fritz Reidenauer. It's been around for a long time, but the theology of other religions don't change. I find it very useful. The other subject I want to look at is a great theological challenge to believers today. So, Bill, I think this might be a good time for a break. Okay, why don't we do that? Dr. Greg Heddington is my guest, and we're in the book of Second Peter, Second Peter uh, 2. So if you want to make sure your Bible's out and your notebook handy, we'll be right back. Dr. Greg Heddington, as we continue our study in, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're talking about recognizing false teaching. Greg, we're off to a great start. Well, we had a little cliffhanger there, but, but just in case anybody missed anything the first half, I want to go back and look a little bit about what we talked about. Our central idea for this lesson is, how do we recognize heresy, that is, false teaching? The answer we've looked at is we can recognize false theological teaching when there's something in that teaching that is inconsistent with the orthodox view of the Trinity, and particularly regarding Jesus. Now, when I use the term orthodox view, I'm referring to the view of Scripture that has been accepted by our churches since a 4th century church council formalized our doctrines as these were men sovereignly guided by the Holy Spirit and Scripture. We looked at evidence for the Trinity, which is one of our foundational beliefs, even though the word Trinity is not mentioned in Scripture. However, we looked at several Scriptures which speak of the Trinity and give evidence that God is one. 
and expressed through three different people, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or you could say persons, all distinct and yet God, not three gods. So the best equation to express it would be one times one times one equals one. As mortal people, it should be no surprise to us that we believe in a creator of the universe whose thoughts are not our thoughts and whose ways are not our ways. I mean, we can only take our thinking and logic so far, and then we have to leave some of it up to our our immortal, eternal God by faith. If we understand everything, then we would be God, and then we would all be in big trouble. So I think that's enough said about it, limitations as humans, since I can't even comprehend the speed of light. So the next point, Roman numeral 5, theological pluralism. That is the name theologians give today for people whose beliefs have been around for a long time. You ever heard this statement? Listen to this. Why can't you different religious people get together and agree on the basics and ignore all the differences in your faiths? After all, no absolute truths. There are no absolute truths, and the world would be a much happier place. So let's let's just coexist. Well, that's an interesting comment to me for two reasons. First, each of the big three religions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, are absolutely exclusive about their beliefs in God, and in no way would be open to saying, we all think the same way about God. Secondly, <clears throat> the latest Pew survey from 2021 claims that 54% of Americans say there are no absolute moral truths. In other words, all truths are subjective. Everyone decides for themselves whatever they want to believe theologically. That means you can make up your own religion. So finally, here's the definition. Theological pluralism, ready? Theological pluralism is the belief that there is more than one way to God, more than one way to salvation, more than one truth. Now, earlier I talked about how some people attempt to earn their way to God through good works. But theological pluralism goes further than that. Let me give you an example. Uh, Besides doing ministry in South Dallas for the past eight years, my wife Carrie and I have been hosting international college graduate students every other Friday for dinner at our home. We don't evangelize, but simply reach out in friendship and hope to know them better so we can eventually give them the best news the world has ever heard. These kids are all top students, just brilliant, and they'll return to their countries as leaders. So we pray the Lord can use us to have an impact on them. That's our prayer. It's a simple ministry, and the beauty is anyone can befriend a visiting international college student while they or in your city, perhaps going to college. So after a few weeks ago, a student from India and I got together right after the dinner, who was a, he was a Hindu, and I talked to him a little bit about Hinduism. Then I asked him, so what do Hindus think about Jesus? He replied, oh, Jesus is one of our favorites. Well, I knew exactly what he meant. Because Hindus believe there is somewhere around 300 million gods, give or take a few million. (laughs) And like many Americans, they take different components from different gods whom they say they worship. And although 
they maintain their own culture, they in fact make up a religion that generally suits them, which sounds like Americans. I mean, according to those to whom I speak, it's sort of a do-it-yourself way of believing, and in essence, that is, in fact, the definition of theological pluralism, which is very popular in America, even though few people would ever understand that their do-it-yourself religion actually has a name to it. Because 54% of Americans claim there are no absolute moral truths, there's no better time than now to be sure what we believe and to share that good news about faith with others. Now, a lot of people freak out. go, I can't evangelize. I haven't been to seminary. I haven't been to Bible college. Just tell your story. How has God impacted you? That's sharing your faith. You don't have to be a theologian with all the answers. Remember, no one can dispute another person's story about how God has changed them. And no one is going to dispute your story. Now that we know how to recognize false teaching because of its inaccuracies about the Trinity and Jesus, let's listen to some of the marvelous truths from God's Word that we can enjoy now and share with others before that day when we attain our ultimate joy in heaven. Hebrews 1.1 Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Colossians 1.26 The mystery which was hidden for ages and generations, but now is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Acts 4.12 there is no other name under heaven given among men, as well as women, I'm sure, by which we must be saved. Ephesians 2.10. We are his poema. That is the Greek word that literally means poem that Paul uses. He says we are God's poem created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Finally, this promise from God in Jeremiah 31.3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Those are powerful scriptures. Those are good ones to know, just to jot down. Now, I want to close with a word of caution at this point. The basics of knowing how to live for the Lord and what to believe are clear in scripture, and we stand on those truths. However, we must be careful to not feel pride or self-righteousness, or condemning toward others who might believe these fundamental truths, but also accept some secondary, non-salvific issues with which we do not agree. In other words, they will have nothing to do with your salvation. Now, I've attended worship services in places where there's a, a sense of arrogance among the people as if they're saying, we have the correct theology and others don't. I'm sure when I come before the Lord, one day I will learn that some of the non-essential issues I have believed were, sorry to say it, not correct, even though I've done my best to teach what Jesus taught. I believe there is a grace, there is a mercy in the Lord that is enormously more loving and more accepting than we have ever known. And therefore, when we have a decision to make, which is not clear from Scripture, and the choices are between grace and justice, 
I am going to lean toward grace because that is what we see in the life of Jesus and the loving way he approached others. Remember, he saved his harshest words for the Pharisees who spent so much time condemning those who did not measure up to every single detail of the law. And after all, the number one part of the law is God loves us and we are to love him. I love this hymn written in 1854 entitled, There's a Wideness in God's Mercy. And this is the way it goes. There's a wideness in God's mercy, like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in his justice, which is more than liberty. There is no place where earth's sorrows are more felt than up in heaven. There is no place where earth's failings have such kindly judgment given. For the love of God is broader than the measures of man's mind, and the heart of the eternal is more wonderfully kind. Friends, may we be faithful to our Lord, remembering the tender mercies he has shown to each of us. And may we be known as those Christ followers who live according to God's amazing grace and show mercy as Jesus did to those who reached out to him when they needed help. Bill, I think that's all I've got to say. Fantastic way to start our day. Greg, thank you once again for uh, doing the amazing teaching that you do and being our friend here at Faith Radio. I just love having you on. Thank you so much. All right. Dr. Greg Heddington has been my guest. We'll take a short break and be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.